This is Actualize Freedom. Straight talk on growing clicks and conversions on Amazon FBA from people doing it every day. Now here's your host, digital marketing acrobat, Danny Kenji Carlson. What's up, guys? Danny Carlson here with the Actualized Freedom Podcast, and we have a special edition today. We have a very interesting person who um, is one of the, mo the more interesting stories that I've come across. He essentially had the biggest supplement company in the world at a certain point at a super, super young age, um, the thrill pill cult he is known for creating. And that's going to be an interesting story to dive into. But he took from those learnings from an early age and then also turned that into success on Amazon e-commerce. So we're going to talk a little bit about that and what that's turned into now. But I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Shaheen Shahan. How are you doing, man? Thanks, Danny. I'm doing great. How about you? Really good. Really good. But uh, for the juiciest thing we got to talk about to begin is the thrill pill cult. Tell us what exactly that is and that whole crazy story that you went through at such a young age. Yeah, sure. I think what you're talking about is herbal ecstasy. So you and I had a conversation about this earlier. And, you know, it's really interesting because I see that like you're a young dude and I was a, a super young guy when I started, you know, I left home at a very early age, you know, came from solidly lower middle-class family for all effective purposes where we were living. We were poor. Uh, my dad worked at a dry cleaners. Uh, you know, my mom was at a stay-at-home mom. And I saw all this wealth around me. And I decided we, we lived in a, a fairly affluent enclave of Los Angeles called Pacific Palisades that somehow just after we moved from Iran and, and moved to the United States, um, we managed to get a, get a house there. And the, the enclave just became a super, uh, you know, super luxurious place to live. Um, an affluent place to live, which wasn't always the case. And so seeing all this affluence around me, I decided that I wanted a piece of it, but I was young, um, you know, in my early teens, like 15. And I left home to seek out my fame and fortune. And I had nowhere to go, dropped out of high school, um, you know, didn't finish the ninth grade and, you know, slept where I could put my head um, and started looking around. And so what happened was that I started going to um, these underground parties at that time called raves, um, which now I think are called like EDM festivals. Do you still call them raves? You're, you're, you're a young outgoing. Raves. Guy. Yeah. You know what, man? I'm not the best guy to ask about that. I've been out of the party sort of scene for the past five years or so. Luckily, I, I definitely was when I was younger, though. So five years ago or so, you could definitely call them raves. Who knows what the kids call them these days? Uh, I'm not up to up to yeah. speed. <laughs> I love it because you're too busy making money like me, which is awesome <laughs> where you exactly. should be. So, you know, I decided, you know, and I, I write about this in my book, Billion, How I Became King of the Thrill Pill Cult, which comes out, I think, later on in August or July or something. But, um, you know, I decided that I really wanted to be rich, but I had no idea how. The rave scene was booming. People would be going to these underground clubs. So I was like, let me hang out there. So I started going to these clubs and I began to realize that the people throwing the clubs were not making money. I then looked at the venues, the people that owned the buildings or leased the buildings or whatever. And I thought, oh, okay, those guys must be making money. Nope. Those guys weren't making money either. 
So I looked at the DJs. I'm like, it's got to be the music, right? Music's, music's a lucrative business. Nope. DJs were always standing outside the door, not getting paid. Everybody was always stiffing the DJs. I don't know why that was, but that was always the case. So who do you think was making the money in those days? Well, I mean, if you're around any of the giant um, clubs in Bali or any other places, you probably see some certain things being sold that shouldn't be. <laughs> so I definitely wouldn't want to do that anywhere in Asia. Um, but yeah, so it was the people dealing ecstasy and ecstasy was booming, but there was a problem. The problem was that the supply of ecstasy, which was a fairly difficult drug to synthesize in that time, MDMA, methyl dioxy, methamphetamine, um, was fairly complex to manufacture. Other drugs were a lot easier to manufacture. So the supply of ecstasy got crushed and these dealers were running out of supply. So they had a bottleneck in their supply chain. Plus the government was cracking down pretty hard. So they were getting busted every weekend. So I thought to myself, what if I were to come up with a formula that was legal, that was all natural, that was completely harm-free, that had a similar effect. Maybe it wouldn't be as good as an illegal drug, but we could maybe get close. And, um, you know, I foolishly believed in myself that I could do it. And I had no money. I didn't have anywhere to sleep. I, you know, was eating from hot dog stands. I would eat the relish and I would buy like a hundred pack of tortillas, which you can get from one of those wholesale stores for like $2. And I would put the ketchup and the relish in the tortillas. I was vegan at that time, critical mistake again. And I, that's what I would eat. That's how I would survive. So somehow I thought I could invent this thing. And somehow I managed to convince people to make it for me. I went to Chinatown. I found an herbalist. I managed to get him to front me some herbs. We put them in pills. I put them in little baggies and I walked up to the club and I walked up to one of the biggest drug dealers at the time. And, you know, I was nervous, you know, sweaty palms, you know, a little shaky. And I said, Hey man, why don't you sell this? And he looked at me and I had these bags with these, I didn't have the machine to make pills yet. So they were like goo filled balls. And he was like, you're fucking kidding me. <laughs> You want me to go back in there? And he points and there's, you know, thousands of people throwing their hands up and he is the man. And I said, yeah, you got a better choice, bud? And he said, you know, uh, I'm not going to do this. And I was like, all right. I hung out in the club anyway. Five minutes later, he came up to me. He said, dude, we're sold out of the real drugs. I got no other choice. Give me what you got. So I handed him the backpack and he said, look, if I sell it, I'll give you some money. If I don't, or if anybody gets sick on this shit, you know, you are done. And he was, he was not joking. And I just sat there just watching. And, you know, after an hour, I started to look around and people were holding the little baggies and pointing to me and like thumbs up and smiling. And he came back and he goes, I don't know how you fucking did it, but he sold them all for 20 bucks a bag. He handed me a stack of bills and he said, go get me more. And it went from one guy to 10 guys to 100 guys, to 1,000 guys, to 10,000 guys. We were all over the world. I was flying to Miami. I was flying to Japan. I was flying to Australia, all over the world. This became a global phenomenon. It mushroomed. And then we went to brick and mortar. We were in Urban Outfitters, GNC. We were in 7-Eleven. We were in every major retail outlet in the world. And I remember the day the call came in. I was in my office in Venice Beach. Great place. You see it on the videos on TV and stuff where all the people are rollerblading. 
And I was in Venice Beach. I, I realized I had hired probably 80% of the working population there in Venice Beach because everybody worked for me in those days. I had 200 employees. Whenever a building was empty, I would just buy it or rent it or whatever. And you'd know because my Ferrari would be parked out front and my cars would be parked all around so people would know it's me. Um, and I remember in those days when the call came through and my secretary kind of nervously looked at me and we, we had secretaries in those days, um, pre-internet. And she said, uh, you know, it, it happened. You broke a billion dollars in sales. And the funniest part about that is I remember thinking to myself, holy fucking shit. I don't even know how much a billion is. And this is pre-internet. You can't Google that shit. Right. So I'm, I'm having a panic attack in my office going, oh my God. And CNN wants to interview me and Montel Williams wanted to have me on a show. And I'm like, they're going to fucking ask me how much a billion is. And what if I don't know, I'm going to look stupid. Well, and then how I old down. are you at this point? Like how, how, what's your age? I think I was in my early teens. Yeah. So, or, or mid teens. So like maybe. Oh my, so what, like 15, 16, something like that. No, no. Late, you know what? Actually, now, now that you mentioned it, it's probably like late teens. So I was probably like 16, 17, 18, like around there. Right. But nobody believed it. Nobody, you know, I told them how old I was. Nobody believed it. But if you look at any of the interviews or any of the stuff written, then they always say allegedly this old. They say Shaheen Shan, who <laughs> broke a billion dollars or made the $350 million year or whatever. It's wide, widely publicized. So, you know, Danny, this brings me to, you know, our first point, which you and I discussed uh, earlier, is that I realized something from all this. And, you know, sitting there in my office, you know, having made a billion dollars in revenue pre-internet, which is mind-blowing. I don't know what that is in 90s dollars, but you guys can Google it and see what that, what that is. I'm sure, I'm sure it's at least $2 billion in nowadays money. But um, because I remember back then, a $100 bill actually meant something. Um, not just like sushi dinner, but <coughs> excuse me. So thinking about this stuff made me realize that all this comes down, this ties into our conversation that we're ha gonna have about Amazon is that there was something that I did that was more important than the product. The product was great, right? People always ask me, it's one of the first questions people ask me. There's two questions people usually ask me when it comes to herbal XC. One is, did it work? And two is, can I get some? They lean in and they're like, do you know if I can still get some, right? So the answer to the second one is no, but we're working on it. We, we did relaunch it some time ago and we're perfecting a formula now. So at some stage, we're going to be launching it into a, a greater lifestyle performance brand. Um, but right now it does exist, but not with the ingredients that it had before. To the first question, as far as, um, you know, what, did it, did it work? The answer is yes. So back to that. And clearly, if you sold a billion dollars worth of it, clearly it worked, right? You don't yeah, scam a billion dollars worth of revenue of something that doesn't work. <laughs> you're right, Danny. You're right. You're right. And a lot of publications came out and called me a scammer. And those were, you know, some of the best days of my life because every time a publication came out with that, the first thing that they do is they come out and they say, this is a scam. There was Details Magazine, which was a big magazine, Rolling Stones Magazine. You know, they came out and on the cover was the $350 million scam. They didn't say what the scam was. They just said, it's a scam. But people always have that inclination to think, what if it's not, right? So, <laughs> you know, it wasn't snake oil. Herbal XC is not and was not snake oil. But it, it certainly wasn't as powerful as MDMA or, or, or real drugs. But for what it was, it was excellent. A lot of people had a good time. And a lot of people actually had a 
better effects than ecstasy, believe it or not. If you talk to any of the people of that era who tried it, a lot of them would say, you know what? It was better. It was lighter. It was easier. Um, you know, the main ingredient has since been banned, uh, which is ephedra, mahuang. And so that makes it very difficult to create that original formulation, which by the way, Mahuangan is an amazing nootropic. You might be able to get it in Bali, but in the United States, it's very difficult to, uh, to access. So what I realized, what I learned. So what I learned from all this was that having a good product is important, but you know this also from Amazon. You know what, dude? There's a lot of people that have better products than you, but you still outrank them. Amazon crushed that level of product quality. What's more important is telling a good story. But what's even more important than that is having distribution. And that's where it all started for me. And I talk about this again in my book, Billion, and in my podcast, Billion, um, that I'm sure you'll share in the show notes uh, with your audience, is that the single most important thing when you have a product is not the product. It is the distribution. If you can figure out where you're going to sell your product and build your product to the distribution channel rather than the old way, which is building a product and then going out there and finding a, a channel. And if you can't find a channel, you do what the old big companies did, which is Seth Godin talks about this, which is disruption marketing, right? You're sitting there watching the, the freaking Super Bowl, And then all of a sudden, hey, you need, you need ketchup? You're like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Okay, okay, two seconds. Like, hey, buddy, you need ketchup? You need a beer. You need a beer? You need ketchup, right? Until you get so annoyed, you freaking buy their thing or you, they pound it into your head so many times that you buy it. That model is dead. And you know, there, there's an author named Seth Godin. He's an expert at marketing. I'm a huge fan of his. And he talks about the difference between permission marketing and the new model of marketing your products by building fanatic audiences as opposed to disruption marketing. But back to our point, is that now with Amazon, which is the market that, that you're in, the niche that you're in, we have the ability to look at the distribution channel, which is Amazon, and there's all these micro niches within Amazon to find out what those markets need and to build product to fit those needs. Now, it's not necessarily the way to build the best product, although like with my Amazon course, I encourage students to build the best products possible. That's how you get returning customers and long lasting customers like our matcha tea or our, our mushroom coffee, uh, uh, coffee DNA, we call it mushroom DNA or shroom DNA is our mushroom coffee that we sell with all those products. We, we try to make the best products possible, but what sells them is telling the story in a way that's convincing. And the reason why we look at distribution first is when you look at the channel that you're selling in and you break it down into these micro niches and you find out what people want and need in those micro niches, you just design your product based on that and your work's done for you. Then you just got to do a little bit of the Amazon magic that, that we talk about and we teach. Yeah, that's kind of what you did by accident when you're a teenager, right? And I want to rewind for a second back to you that moment when you first started this herbal ecstasy stuff because it's it was a potentially dangerous situation right like you you have this new untested product and then you're going in you're you're pitching it to these drug dealers these people who are in this illegal industry and you know there's a chance that one of these drug dealers could take you as as a threat or, or something bad that they don't like right it, like was there ever any moment 
that was just really scary for you throughout that entire period? Or did you, did you just not really think about that as a young kind of bold, courageous teenager? Oh yeah. There's a, there's a great story about that in my book. Um, you know, and I, I won't give that away for, for your audience. I'll let them discover it. So I'm trying to not give any more spoilers of the book. Um, but it was a wild ride. And yeah, all that stuff was, was involved. You know, I tell the story of how one day a mysterious man shows up in my office with a briefcase with a million bucks and a, and a private uh, a chauffeur waiting to take me to a uh, airport on a private plane to Japan where I had no idea who I was meeting until I realized it was with the Yakuza, the Japanese mafia. Um, there were, uh, you know, all kinds of uh, dealings with people in, you know, the, the how shall we say, the black hat side of the world where, uh, you know, I was determined to stay clean, to keep my company clean, you know, but, um, you know, there was forces outside of us that were involved in those other worlds. And, you know, we, we did a pretty good job, you know, steering clear of any of that kind of stuff. But yeah, sure. Anytime you're involved in, you know, any of these kinds of uh, things that go against the grain, you risk, uh, you know, that element wanting to take a piece. And that was always the case. Um, you know, probably what was, you know, even more aggressive was um, I'd say corporations and attorneys. When people see that you've made hundreds of millions of dollars, and I'm sure this happens to Bezos and you know Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and all these guys who've made all this money, is that people just start suing you, hoping that something sticks and knowing that you can only manage so many lawsuits and at a certain point you've got to sort them out and the ones that have merit you can take to court, but the ones where they have no merit, you try to settle them for less than what it costs. So there was a lot of that and that was probably the most um, annoying thing at that time was just daily being served with lawsuits from people that I never met, that I never did business with, vulture funds, you know, those kinds of things. Um, was probably more aggressive than sort of the clandestine world. Um, and then, you know, you had the world of people that were legitimately into psychedelics. And a lot of those guys were my friends. You know, I had several meetings with the guy who invented ecstasy, this guy, uh, Alexander Shulgin and his wife. I met them through a friend of mine, Terrence McKenna, who was a, a famous author and kind of in the psychedelics world. And, you know, back in the day, I knew uh, Timothy Leary, who's a Harvard professor who popularized LSD, uh, along with uh, uh, Richard Alpert, who's another guy, Ram Das. And these guys all formed- right. That Shulgin of- guy, he was uh, he's famous for testing, what, like a thousand different substances on himself or something like that, right? He, he came up with the Shulgin method of testing. Is that the guy? Yeah. So I think, you know, it was either in the fifties or the forties, he worked for, I I'm going to say Merck, but I could be wrong. He worked for one of the big pharma, German pharmaceutical companies. And he had researched this drug that where I think the military was trying to develop it as a truth serum. And, um, you know, he, he took some and tried it, which I guess was a thing to do back then. <laughs> I don't know. And he discovered that it had all these uh, psychoactive effects and the guy, you know, he, he went off and, you know, started making what he called, you know, they're called analogs, I guess, in, in their world, where you change the, if you know chemistry, you change the chemical structure just a little bit, and you get all these drugs that each have a slightly different effect than what the uh, original invented drug is. So he did that, and he wrote books on it, and they were kind of seen as gurus in that world, and a lot of people followed them. 
And, you know, it was a ni nice old couple uh, that did way too many drugs, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yeah, I, from what I've read, he had tested something like a thousand different self-made substances throughout the course of his career on himself, um, which is, it's, it's kind of crazy, but um, yeah. it's, uh, he's a legend amongst the, the, the kind of scientific community when it comes to psychedelics, for sure. But let's hop over to, to kind of the future. So obviously you learned some, some really important lessons, maybe by accident or by luck or, you know, whatever you want to call it, bold bravery of your young self. Um, you just learned like how something can really take off if you really hit a core niche audience with a product that really meets their demands, right? So, so what were the, the main lessons learned from that whole experience that you're now utilizing with the current brands that you are selling today? Yeah, so ultimately, I think the thing is, um, you know, I think your, your audience is probably people who are just starting on Amazon or active sellers on Amazon and have been selling for some time. Is that right? Yeah, that's about right. So I think, you know, the, the, the first thing is, so like I uh, teach this course and we have this mastermind where we teach people how to, how to start off on Amazon, how to accelerate and how to do it the right way. And then, you know, I have my company where we sell millions and millions of dollars worth of all kinds of products on Amazon. And then we've got an agency where we teach, uh, I should say we do it for them, all kinds of brands from Fortune 50s to um, startups that VCs bring us and we accelerate them on the platform, right? They bring us a product. I don't know how to sell this. We will show them how to do it on Amazon. Now, the, the key lessons are that first and foremost, you want to be able to break down the products that you have. And, you know, this is one of the fundamental first things that we teach people in the course is that not every product is going to be a home run. Okay. So first and foremost, what you want to do, especially since like you, you're a young guy. How, how old are you, Danny? 29. I love that. The 20s are an amazing age to be in. I'm 46 um, at the time of this recording. So, okay. So the first thing you want, to, you want to do is you want to realize that you need a feedback loop, right? Circle. And that feedback loop needs to be closed as quickly as possible for you to keep your interest in anything. Right. If you and me are sitting having a conversation and, and Danny, you're telling me about your life and I'm like, mm-hmm, 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 you're not getting any anything from me, right? Stonewall. What are you gonna do? Yeah, it just it just gets boring after a while, right? Yeah, you move on, right? You move on somewhere else, someone else, right? Why would you waste your time talking to me? You're not getting anything, and that that feedback loop isn't closed. It's just going around and around and around. Right. So similarly. With Amazon, people are always asking me, dude, I use Jungle Scout or I use Helium 10 and I found this product and it's, I'm, I'm going to sell collagen and make $5 million a month. This is great. And I said, yeah, buddy, but what if you don't? Do you know how much money you need to spend to capture the ranking in that category? Do you know how many giveaways you need to do to even get to the top 50 ranking in that category? Yeah, well, I can raise money. I can do, okay, great. How long is that going to take you? Oh, I don't know. I don't know. Six months a year. Well, think about this. What if you fail, right? What I like to tell students to do is first and foremost, you organize your product research into buckets. First and home run. First base, second base, third base, and home run product. Your home run product is going to be like your collagen, 
right? It's going to be one of those products. And it might not be collagen because that, that market is way oversaturated, but it can be something in that range, right? And you're going to plan that. But immediately when you start selling on Amazon, you need to find one piece of low-hanging fruit. It could be an arbitrage play. It could be an easy repackage play. It's got to be something that you have a high likelihood of success and likely a low likelihood of having any kind of big profit immediately. Why? Because you want to close that feedback loop, right? I guarantee you, for any of you guys who haven't sold before on Amazon, eBay, Etsy, Walmart, or any of these platforms, is that once you sell one thing, you're going to be calling your best friend going, dude, Danny, you were right, man. <laughs> Amazon's the shit. I just sold a bottle of ketchup. And, you, and you're going to be like, yeah, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm selling 50 grand worth of uh, ketchup every day, right? But the excitement level is the same. Why? Because you close the feedback loop. So lesson number one, always, always start off with the low-hanging fruit that's going to give you the quickest closing of that feedback loop. Secondly, that cost of making mistakes is going to be lower because presumably you're going with a first base product. The profit margins are low. It means the competition is less. So you're going to sell some, maybe you'll break even, maybe you'll lose a few bucks, but you know what? You're going to learn some lessons. You're going to learn that shipping beach umbrellas that are too big incur an Amazon oversized fee, or maybe you calculated for the oversized fee, but then you're going to learn that those beach umbrellas break when they come in the mail. Great. You now have made that mistake in a uh, very small arena. And now when you move on to the next arena, you're going to hire a third-party uh, inspection company for 300 bucks. We, we've got a list of resources in our course, or if anybody needs, reach out to me and I'll, I'll share them with you, that they will go out to your factory in China and they will drop test the product. They will check it for you. They will physically go there and send you pictures so you can test it. Or maybe you learn that, hey, uh, you know, the, the um, you know, China, China Red Factory makes, uh, makes them uh, breakable, but the China Blue Factory makes them foldable. And I want the foldable ones because now I don't have to pay the oversized fee. So you learn all these little details, but you learn them through doing and you close that feedback loop. So by the time you're on to your second base product, you go, you know what? I sold some of these and maybe I made a couple grand this, this month. So it's, you know, it's enough to pay my rent, but you know, it's not going to change my life. I want to start doing more products, selling more products on Amazon that change my life. Now on the second base product, you're closing that feedback loop, but you're making a little bit more money and you're not repeating the mistakes that you made early on. Yeah. Does that's that such sense? an important point right there. Like I've just seen this so much over the past. I've been uh, in the Amazon space now, I guess for, for five years or so. And I've seen so many times where people are just swinging for the fences on their very first shot. And they're like, all right, I got 50 grand. I'm just going to go all in. I'm going to take out all my savings. I'm going to you know, put a freaking second mortgage on my house or whatever it is. And I'm going in on this product and it's going to work. I'm going to make a hundred grand a month. And I've seen, I've seen that work sometimes. I've seen some people really, really smash it with that. But more often than not, I've seen people really get themselves into trouble, right? Um, some people and myself included have the kind of the psychological tendency towards optimism, like entrepreneurial optimism. I, I think a lot of us wouldn't be entrepreneurs if we didn't have that psychological tendency, right? But it, it, can, it can also get us into trouble 
if we're really not being realistic about things. Um, so like, I know at least my first couple of years in business, I definitely was that person who was just swinging full as hard as I could at every single baseball that came my way. Right. And sometimes it would work, but more often than not, it doesn't work. Right. And like over the years, I've learned to, to not swing at some of those balls. Right. And, and take things more conservatively so that you don't, um, you know, at least the balls that you're swinging at are not, if you miss it, then you're, you're going to be in a bunch of debt that's going to be really hard to get out of, or you're going to be in a situation that you don't get to play again for another six months or a year until you can get it sorted out. Right. And that's, that's one thing that I think you're saying when you're talking about this feedback loop is you want to, to do it in small incremental steps where you're learning, but then you're not, you're not losing, you're not losing the game at any point during that process. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. You know, it, it makes sense to start off slow, you know, so like I do uh, combat sports, I do Brazilian jiu-jitsu that I've been doing now for close to five years. And, you know, if you step on the mat the first time and you find the biggest, baddest dude, you know, his ears are all cauliflowered, you know, he's got a black belt, his gi is all torn up, you know, there's like blood everywhere, you know, and he's just sweating, you standing there and you go and, and spar with that guy you know, you try that guy on the mat, you know, but you're not going to have a home run. It's just not going to happen. Instead, if you go with somebody more at your own level, when you're starting off and you're learning together, then that's a different story because now that's low hanging fruit. Maybe you're a little bit stronger than that guy. Maybe you're a little bit faster than that guy, right? If you choose, choose correctly. So you can have some success there, which will encourage you to continue doing the sport. Now, if, you know, you went with that big monster, you know, MMA black belt guy, and, you know, the next time you wouldn't be so excited about going with that guy, um, you know, and, and in all fairness, the, the big guys in jujitsu, the guys that are black belts are the best guys to spar with because they are really chill. So it's the least likelihood of getting hurt. But in this case, I'm using this as an example, you know, if every time you went against that guy and you couldn't even get a movement in, you couldn't be much less, you know, save yourself and you're, you're tapping out every time, it's not going to be so fun for you to continue. You're just, you're just not going to want to do it because it's because, because the dip is so high, you know, you're looking up, you're inside that dip and you're looking up, you're just not going to make it. So absolutely right. You got to start with smaller steps, which brings us to our, our second point of our conversation, which is foundational thinking. So a lot of people, you know, want to skip a step. And I teach this first thing in my course before anything else is that you need to have your foundations straight, your life foundations. And, you know, our course, we have a, a free course. It's a one hour crash course. It's everything you need to know about selling on Amazon from A to Z. And for any of your, it's normally 200 bucks, but to any of your uh, subscribers, listeners, if they have money, if they don't, it doesn't matter. I'm happy to share it with them for free. You don't need any money, as you know, to start a business on Amazon, not any real money. You need a few bucks to open the account or whatever. So you don't need to spend big money. We then have a mastermind in a course, which, uh, you know, we hand select people. It's under a hundred people and it's a community of sellers that help bring each other up. And there's, you know, weekly coaching with me now with that, that group is, is very carefully selected. And I get people calling us all the time, trying to get in and I'm turning people down all the time. So the other week I had a guy call me 
And he said, dude, I want to like get into your course. I said, okay, great. You know, we did the basic interview. We did the talk. I take every single call myself personally. And I said, okay, so this looks interesting. How are you going to be able to fund your product purchase? And he goes, well, uh, you know, uh, gosh, uh, I don't have the money for that now. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll raise it. Um, and I said, well, how are you going to pay for the, for the, to join, join the group, right? Because it costs, you know, thousands of dollars to join. I mean, not that many thousands, but it costs a few thousand bucks to join. And he said, well, I, I'm going to put on a credit card and hope to pay it off. And I looked at him and I said, dude, you don't need Amazon. You need Uber. And he just looked at me like super shocked. He's like, what? You know, because I'm, I'm turning down a sale but I'd rather do that than tarnish our 100% success record, which by the way, we have never failed with any Amazon student. I'm not about to start now for one person. So he goes, what? I said, yeah, dude, you need to start driving Uber. Get out there and start driving Uber. Start doing uh, task rabbits. Go on Craigslist and take gigs. Until you have a foundation where you feel comfortable and secure so you don't have to worry if your product succeeds or fails you're not going to succeed it's foundation number one you need a career you need a job you need something that's going to be paying your rent and putting food on your table or you need savings or rich mommy and daddy a trust fund uh rich sugar what do you call them sugar sugar somethings um, sugar daddy sugar, sugar mama. daddy you need a sugar daddy you need something so that you've got that first foundation right once you have that first foundation you need to diversify, right? You should have some money in real estate, some money in the stock market, right? That's three pillars. And the fourth is going to be e-commerce. Then call me, dude, right? Once you are secure, you've got your foundation set and you're okay, then we can talk about making you successful on Amazon. And he laughed and he kind of got it. And I think he actually went on to doing some Uber and Postmates delivery and you know, just working out a hustle so that he has at least, and this is the marker I tell everybody, you need to have at least $10,000 in the bank where if that money were to disappear tomorrow, I mean, poof, you'd be okay. You wouldn't be happy about it. No one's happy about losing 10 grand, but if it went, it would not impact your lifestyle at all. And we talk about this a lot. We talk about what freedom means, being able to do what you want, when you want, with who you want. It's the most important thing in life. We always talk about this, about how time is the new luxury, especially in your generation, right? Kids don't give a shit. People don't care about cars, people in their 20s anymore. They don't care, care about, they, they like watch the Instagram videos and that's cool. But what they, what they care about is experience. What people care about is freedom, right? Freedom gives you the ability to have any experience that you want. So in order to have that, you need to have sufficient capital where you don't have to worry. Now me, like where I'm based at in my life, I have a few money. So I don't have to do anything. I don't have to answer to anybody, right? I can just live my life. I can, you know, enjoy, you know, spending vacations with my family. My Amazon business is bringing in revenue. My agencies are bringing in revenue. I'm diversified across different channels and industries, and I've got different investments. I invest in startups, so I'm good. But if you're just starting out, the minimum that you will need to start any kind of a business, and believe me, there aren't many that you can start with this amount of money, is 10,000 bucks. And you have to be, be willing and able to burn that money with absolutely zero impact on your freedom, being able to do what you want, when you want, with who you want. And until you have that foundation, you cannot start an Amazon business. So please don't come to me, don't come to Danny. You can start learning about Amazon, 
But if you want to be successful, you need to have a certain amount of money that you are detached from. Because what do we know about detachment is that when you are, you know, you're a young guy, right? So you, you're going to be, be hanging out with a girl, right? You meet a girl for the first time and you go up to her and you're all like, oh, how, how are you doing? Oh my God, you're so beautiful. You're so amazing. I'm going to call you every day. What's she thinking? Yeah, you're a loser. You're needy, right? But if you're like, you know, whatever, right? Like you want to hang out sometime? Cool. We can hang out, right? Oh, not, maybe not next Thursday, maybe the Thursday after, whatever, just call me, you know? It, you, you're detached. It doesn't matter, right? You're not attached to outcomes. That's where you have the chance of greatest success. And believe me, your subconscious knows. Your subconscious knows that you are worried about where your next meal is going to come from. So, you know, you, you, you are not in a comfortable place to, to be thinking about making millions. That is not the right place to be. Where you want to be at first is stability. Once you have stability, you've got a job, all that stuff, then the next thing you need to start thinking about is stop selling your fucking hours. I tell this to people all the time. The biggest single mistake that young entrepreneurs can make, I don't care how much you get for an hour of your time, you only have 24 hours in a day. We all only have 24 hours in a day. So you want to get to your next goal, the next uh, milestone, which is I will no longer sell my hours. So you get your financial freedom and then you move in. And that's where Amazon, Etsy, Walmart, eBay, all these online, you know, even now Shopify and, you know, uh, these e-commerce platforms enable you to make more money in a month than five of your friends working nine to five jobs with a tenth of the effort. But it takes time to build and it takes time to build that foundation. And so what you need is foundational thinking. For me, it was helpful to have mentorship. And, you know, you can get mentorship by finding a mentor or by joining a mastermind. And, you know, and that's why we built the Amazon Mastery Group, the Amazon Mastery Mastermind, where you have a cohort of other people that are exactly where you're at. And they are learning at the same pace that you are. And we have mentors. We have the best people in the business who will coach you to become better and to have that element of financial freedom. Yeah. Mentorship has certainly been important for me. And like, I want to echo your sentiment on foundational systems and having those things in place. Like an example that happened with me is, um, is finances. Like I never really had control over my personal finances uh, when I started a business. And even for my first few years in business, I had really no idea the financial health of the business. Like I was terrible at at looking at financial reports and, you know, cash flow spreadsheets and all this kind of stuff. And I, I uh, learned some expensive lessons by not knowing that foundational skill, right? Like not just like either not tracking certain things that I should have been tracking or just not looking at reports as much as it should be, or just not even understanding them. Right. And certainly as an e-commerce business owner, you really need to intimately understand the cash flow and the profitability of your business, because if you're not, then you're going to get yourself in a situation where either one, you're not profitable. Sure. There's lots of revenue coming in, but you're maybe you're losing money or even worse. You have a big cash flow crisis where you, you just find yourself in a situation where, Hey, I actually don't have any more money to pay my suppliers or to pay for all this stuff to keep the business running. Guess what happens in that situation? Your business is, is gone, right? You can't afford to keep your business running. So um, I, th I think those foundational pieces 
are, are absolutely crucial, right? Just winging it along to a certain degree can work. But also, if you're missing those foundational pieces, you're going to run into a lot more problems that you didn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great book. It's been out for a while. I'll recommend it to all your viewers and listeners. It's called The Psychology of Money. Guys, I know it sounds boring, but it's not what you think. And if you have not read this book, it is one of the best financial books, I think, of the decade. You can get it on Audible. I've got no affiliation to the writer um, or to the publisher, but the book is really exceptional. And it helps you get your thinking about finances in order. So it's called The Psychology of Money. I strongly recommend it. Excellent. And uh, we're getting to the end of our time here. So kind of a closing thoughts on Amazon. So someone, they're listening. Let's say they got $10,000. They want to want to get rocking on Amazon. They have the right expectations, which I love how you touched on that. You're not pushing people to put something on a credit card and just go, go wing it when they don't have the cash to back it up because it does take cash to start an Amazon business. What would you say to a person like that to to push them over the edge, to actually get them started doing it if they're really nervous to start the business. That's the biggest thing that I see people being held back starting their first business or starting selling on Amazon is just that, that hesitancy. What would you say to a person like that? Yeah. So what's the cure for fear? Well, I'm probably not the best person to ask for this. I like to ride thousand CC sport bikes and go, you know, race, race longboards down hills and stuff like that. But um, <laughs> what, what would you say to that question? You just answered it. So that's exactly it. What do you call those sports? Adrenaline sports, action sports, extreme sports. Action. Action cures all fear. So the first thing that you can do if you're scared of something within reason is to do it. So if you're scared of selling on Amazon, start selling on Amazon, reach out guys. You know, I'll, I'll share my two hour course. Again, it's like 200 bucks. I'll give it to every single one of your viewers for free. They do not need to spend a cent to get started selling on Amazon and you just do it, right? You have to think to yourself, you know, what do you have to lose? Are you in the right position to do this now? Do you need Amazon in your life or do you need Uber? And if your answer comes back, Amazon, then, you know, take, Take one action step after you listen to this podcast. I don't care what it is. Email me, email Danny, join our mailing list, join Danny's list, whatever you want to do. You need to, when you stop listening to this podcast, you need to go and take one action. It could be writing a list in your journal and journaling for 10 minutes. It could be calling somebody and saying, hey, bud, you know, let's start an Amazon business together because I know that I need some additional uh, support to do it. So if you'll do it with me, I'll do it. Let's all put in some money and get going to that. And that's a great way to do it, to have other people support you. You know, join a uh, mentorship group, join a support group, join a course. Um, you know, mine is one of many, but there's, there's several out there. Some are great, some are scams. Um, but in general, if you want to reach out to me, I'm happy to share my thoughts on, you know, any of them. And, you know, you don't have to buy anything from me. I'm happy to guide you along the way. I, I do answer all emails personally. It might take a minute for me to get back to you, but um, Danny will share my website as shaheenshan.com, or you can go to thrillpillcult.com. Um, and listen to any of our podcasts, you know, hack and grow rich. 
Um, you know, we do a new episode every week, which is awesome. We start getting new guests and billion, how I became king of the throw poke cult are all out there. And we're going to have Danny on soon on hack and grow rich. So we're excited about getting him on and learning more about him and how he lives his lifestyle by lifestyle, by design in Bali. And we're going to learn. Heck yeah, man. And I just want to say, uh, to wrap things up here that personally for me, I'm such a big believer in mentorship because I was the opposite when I started in business I didn't want to pay for any kind of mentorships and any programs and I would always you know do whatever it took to go find that same information for free on YouTube and stuff like that and I struggled very unneedlessly for my first couple of years and made some some very expensive mistakes that you know honestly looking back on it if I probably calculated those expensive mistakes that I made and just spent it on mentorship it probably would have probably would have actually came out on top but just to give you guys an idea personally uh, for me, in 2021, I personally invested uh, about $100,000 in my own business mentorship currently. And I will continue to do that every single year um, that, I, that I, as long as I'm still in business, I will continue to invest in my own mentorship. So, you know, obviously there, there's different mentors are right for you at a different time, um, depending on what you're trying to do, but just mentorship in general, as long as you're choosing the right mentor for you, um, you're, it, it, it'll pay for itself in you know 10x 20x 100x whatever whatever that is yeah yeah you know you you gotta you gotta find that right mentor somebody who you discover is you know the picture of where you want to be and utilize them to get to where you want to go and you know if you have to pay some money for that that's probably the easiest money you spend amen well, awesome, man. It's a pleasure to have you on here. Guys, we'll put the links to those references in the show notes at KenjiROI.com slash blog. And um, yeah, if you guys are want to learn more about the crazy story of Shaheen here and everything he's up to, definitely go check out those links. So until next time, go out there and kick some ass. And thank you so much for your time, Shaheen. Thank you so much, Danny. Good to see you, bud. For show notes and resources mentioned in this episode, visit KenjiROI.com.